You know, Colossians uh, is, a, is a great epistle. And uh, in chapter uh, 2, verse 8, kind of the title as I look at this particular epistle is, listen to this verse, be careful not to allow anyone to captivate you through empty, deceitful philosophy that is according to human traditions and the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So in other words, Paul is telling us we are to order our lives according to Christ, right? Okay, not to allow, not to allow women to captivate you, to deceive you, to delude you and with deceitful philosophy, with man-made religion, with these man-made ideas in the world. So we are to order our, our lives according to Christ. And so in Colossians 3, 1 through 17, you know, Paul uses his typical Pauline form of going from indicatives, okay, truth, stating truth, things that have taken place, to imperatives, right? To things that we're to do, things that we are to do by the power of the Spirit. As the Spirit energizes us, we are to do these things. And so from indicatives to imperatives. And so before we get into it, just a quick background uh, in the letter, why Paul wrote the letter. And, uh, you know, Colossae, uh, for those that have studied it, a city rich in history located on the Lycos River, Lycos River Valley, about 100 miles from Ephesus. Kind of get that? It's to, just to the east of Ephesus. And during the time of Paul, this was a large commercial center that eventually dwindled after the construction of a major Roman highway that bypassed Colossae. Mainly during Paul's time, largely a Gentile population, but uh, numerous Jews. Uh, if you study this and look according to Josephus, uh, Antiochus the Great transported some 2,000 Jews to Colossae from Babylon around 200 B.C. And uh, at the time of Paul's letter, the population was uh, probably somewhere over 10,000 of Jews. But again, largely Gentile, but a, but a, a, a fairly good-sized Jewish population there as well. We know, that Paul, we know Paul to be the author of the letter with salutations from both Paul and Timothy in verse 1 addressed to the saints, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. That's 1-1. One, one. one of the four epistles written by the Apostle Paul while imprisoned in Rome in the early 60s A.D. along with Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. You know, if you ever, a quick aside here, interesting to do a study on how many like phrases and sentences there are in Colossians and Ephesians. Some 17 to 20 exact or similar phrases in both of these epistles, both of these letters. Well, Epaphras, we know, was saved under Paul's ministry in Ephesus, according to Acts 19. And being from Colossae, being from this region, he travels back with his newfound faith and then, according to, to God's sovereignty plants, three churches uh, there in that region, Arapolis and uh, Laodicea and Colossae. And so we've got these three churches. And Epaphras goes to Rome because he's concerned. He's concerned about an issue that's taking place there. And he asks for advice on how to combat the heresies, the heresies that are occurring. And so what's going on? There's false teaching taking place. There's false teaching that's occurring. And so we see this merging, if you will, that Epaphras is concerned about of Christianity with Judaism and also with Greek thought. 
And so he, you're getting these, this, this merging of teaching that's taking place there, and Epaphras is concerned about that. And so he, uh, he get, again, you know, Paul really never saw the church there, but he instructs them through this letter at the request of Epaphras. One thing specifically that we won't have time to really dig into that's emerging there, again, as a result of the Greek thought, is Gnosticism, a belief system where salvation is based on secret knowledge and secrets are revealed to help people progress in the spirit world, if you will, to different angelic levels to ultimately reach the region of light, this high good God. So basically salvation equals knowledge. It's a system. And so interestingly, two things kind of merged off this Gnostic thought. Um, there was a group in the, in, of Gnosticism that actually kind of took this antinomian view that really it doesn't matter what you do in the body. You can do anything in the body doesn't really matter. You know, the body is, is matter. What matters is the spirit. That's a branch or a review or a sect that came off of Gnosticism. Another area that came off of Gnosticism was this idea of asceticism. Okay, in other words, really discipline your body to the point of severe discipline. Um, and again, so two, two things, two areas that merged off of Gnosticism here extreme form of self-indulgence and this antinomian view to pass. Well, Paul, with that system developing, with the Judaism that's there, that again are calling the believers into into circumcision and and other Judaistic traditions, you can see the the, the challenge that Epaphras is facing here as he's talking to to Paul about how to address this, this false teaching. So Paul sets the Christians on the right track who had been deceived or deluded by the false teaching, by doing what? Setting forth right doctrine. It matters what we believe, right? It matters, it matters what we believe. When it comes to Christ, Christian progress and maturity. You know, as you read Paul, as you read his letters, you know, his goals really come through clearly, don't they? I mean, you just, his goals are for believers to mature in their faith, to grow in the knowledge of God to grow in their identity in Christ, to become who you are in Christ. Paul's goals are very, very clear. Um, Just love his writings. Um, Well, anyway, as we move on here, kind of look at the the main theme uh, of Colossians. We see this idea of the supremacy of Christ. This is a Christ letter, isn't it? This is, a, this is Christology, the preeminence of Christ. You know, Colossians, beginning in Colossians 1, um, chapter 1, verse 15, and just reading, reading who Christ is. Paul really sets the foundation, doesn't he? The creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, the Lord of all creation. All things are through him and for him. The head of the body, all things reconciled through him by making peace through the blood of his cross. Paul goes right at the heart of a system, doesn't he? A belief system, a false belief system. He goes just right at the heart. And how does he do that? With a person, a person, the Lord Jesus. We proclaim him by instructing and teaching people, all people with all wisdom, so that we may present every person mature in Christ. Wow, that's just incredible. And so, so Paul goes right at this false teaching, right at the heart of it, with a person, the Lord Jesus. Quickly, before we get into chapter 3, 
chapter 2, I'm going to do this in just a minute. Guard yourselves from the deception of false teaching, deceitful philosophy, which embody the elemental, elemental principles of the world. Okay, Why? Because you're not of the world. These are man-made. These are of the world. Guard yourselves from them. And so he identifies them. Chapter 2, verses 8 and 10, Gnosticism, wrong path. The mystery of God is Christ in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Chapter 2, 11 through 17, legalism, wrong path. Okay, Our reality is in Christ Jesus. Our union is with him, faith in him, and he's how we relate to the Father. Verses 18 and 19, mysticism of chapter 2, wrong path. Headship is in Christ. Hold fast to the head. Mysticism is a wrong path. And then finally, in chapter 2, 20 through 23, is asceticism, wrong path. Our immunity, our freedom and protection is in Christ. And so we see these. Okay, so with that background, ordering our lives according to Christ, our present and progressive sanctification, let's, let's talk how Paul exhorts the believers in Colossae with these key principles, commands, and exhortations. Let me start here. Let me just, I want to read the uh, first four verses here, and then we'll start from there. And let me tell you how I developed this. There's, there's actually um, five recognitions. And you know, as you read Scripture, you, know, you develop your convictions, you develop God-given convictions as you read Scripture. And so these are convictions that just, as I read this, you know, um, you know, this is what emerged in my own thinking, in my own prayer life, in my own walk. So again, these five convictions, and we'll, we'll unpack them. And as I mentioned, I'll talk a little bit about how the Holy Spirit is still washing my mind from some things. And I want to get into a couple of specific ministry cases with you, just to talk with you about how important it is to rightly define sanctification. So, in chapter 3, if then... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. So the first recognition, five recognitions... Recognition number one, recognize that we live and relate in a new spiritual reality. Recognize that we live and relate in a new spiritual reality. Note in chapter 2 of of, verses 11 13, we see this clearly that in Jesus you are also circumcised. Not, however, with the circumcision performed by human hands, but the removal of the fleshly body that is through the circumcision done by Christ having been buried with him in baptism, also you've been raised with him through your faith and the power of God who raised him from the dead. God made you alive with him, having forgiven all your trans- transgressions. We talk about this indicative truth. Look what God has done. The Father has rescued us, right? We see what God has initiated in our lives. We see that God has done this. He's placed us in Christ. And as the elect of God, the chosen ones, and dearly beloved, Scripture says, think about that. Let that sink in. Union with Christ. Christ, God has sought you out, sought you out, initiated salvation in your life. And now it says that we're in union because we've been co-buried, co-resurrected, 
with Christ, eternal life, resurrection life. Peter says it this way, a chosen generation, right? A royal priesthood. This is your identity, okay? So even in these first four verses, we see, as we talk about this, this idea of sanctification. And I want to talk about this because, uh, again, come my personal, my personal walk, and, and you see this, and I see this in people that I talk with and, and, and are coming out of some things, but where justification and sanctification are two separate things, okay, and are separated. Whereas God sanctifies, and we see the tenses of uh, sanctification. We see a past tense of sanctification, right? We see a present tense of sanctification, and we see a future tense of sanctification. So, again, let's, let's, talk, let's, talk, let's unpack that just a bit, okay, because I think it's important to think through. You've got three tenses of sanctification. This first, as you see here, these first four verses, we've got this definitive or positional sanctification. Okay, occurs simultaneously with what? Conversion and regeneration. I am or have been sanctified. God sets a Christian apart from sin's penalty and their old self in Adam. And we see that in various places in Scripture. Past sanctification, which can be looked at as justification. Present sanctification or progressive sanctification. I am being sanctified. God gradually sets a Christian apart from sin's power and practice. We see this, in, again, in several verses in the New Testament. And then this future or perfect, complete or final sanctification, sometimes called glorification. I will be sanctified. God sets a Christian apart from sin's presence and possibility, right? Well, what a glorious time that will be. When the New Testament uses this holiness word group to sanctify or make holy, it usually refers to definitive sanctification rather than progressive. But the concept of progressive, it permeates the New Testament. And, um, and we'll, there's places here in this particular chapter that we'll talk about that as well. But notice that progressive sanctification, as we talk about this, the gracious operation of the Holy Spirit in our lives involving our responsible participation within the framework of God's sovereignty and election. We see this, our participation within that. So important. He delivers us from the pollution of sin, renews our entire nature according to the image of God, and enables us to to live lives that are pleasing to Him. You know, as you sit through and go through some of this, doesn't it just cause you to pause? I mean, isn't it breathtaking at times to read Scripture and think about what God has done? Just absolutely breathtaking as you think through some of this. But, so again, definite, the, the definition of sanctification extremely important. Well, Rodney, why is that important? Um, let me let me just I mentioned I wanted to talk through some of some of the uh, some profiles here, and let me just tell you that um, again I'd mentioned earlier where God's placed me in as a businessman in the energy energy world. And I get to meet and come across men all the time. And, and again, you just, you know, where, you know just kind of as you go, just ministry as you go, you know, as God places people into your lives. And so these, there's been men that have been able to set, set some time uh, apart with to minister through the Word and, you know, currently doing that. But here's just a couple of, of recent ones that, uh, that I just want to kind of give you a profile, okay? So we'll just talk. Here's person number one. Um, just, and this, this is their words, okay? Justified by faith, um, passive when it comes to my walk with Christ. Uh, my victory over sin comes from surrender, always surrendering. Okay, I need to, 
dedicate myself to God. I let go and I let God. God does the work. I let God's power work in my life. Victory over sin is achieved through surrender. Only way to be victorious in this life. Again, do you hear, do you hear some of these subtleties in this? Okay. Um, life recommitments and rededications are important. Okay. That kind of victory, okay, that, that sustains me. Yeah, do you hear that? Do you see the danger? Okay, as, a, as opposed to a, what I will call a reformed view of, of sanctification, okay, to where conversion and regeneration take place and then conforming into the image of God as we go. Okay? And, and notice I did the jagged line. Okay? There's, there's times that where it's just a, it's repenting, confessing, repenting, and putting off and putting on, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Okay? But... Uh, again, that's person number. This is person number one. Low, uh, low service level in the church, um, and again, I, you know, I'm just telling. I'm being truthful with you. You know, poor leading in the home. Okay, this just happened to be a characteristic. Um, all things will come to pass. There's little I can do. Mild depression, inward bend, low level of, go- of agape toward the saints. That's a profile. So again, do you see how the right view of sanctification can help a person in that? And, and, it, and you know, glory be to God, it is. We're, we're, I mean, this is a, this is an actual thing that's happening. Here's person number two, justified by faith. My growth and sanctification depends on me, and how diligent I am at keeping the commands of Christ. My self-discipline is critical. Keeping the commands of Christ demonstrates my love toward Him. I'm able to keep all the commands of Christ. My new character dictates that. High service level, okay? The wheels are churning, right? Okay, high service level. Low assurance. Low assurance. Um, My service reflects my love toward others. Poor physical health. Profile, okay? Do you see how the right definition of sanctification can help? Um, let me just read uh, some excerpts. Now, that, th- these are the two that, that, that I have experience with. I don't have experience with this one, but let me just read you some of the, uh, some excerpts from another story, okay? Um, campfire revival by coming to the front of the campfire meeting and throwing a stick in the fire. The stick was supposed to be a symbol of a life fully given to the Lord. Lots of drama, tears, Earnest hope that this would be transformational in my life. Okay, a quick fix. Okay, a quick fix. I want to do what's right. I want to serve the Lord, but I was certain that I fell short of what the Lord desired and deserved. I spent years in pursuit of the mysterious formula, okay, that would instantly launch me into the higher place, the higher plane of sanctification. A few years at a legalistic college didn't help. I was active in ministry there, but found the external rules Keeping the external rules for the sake of appearance cannot restrain the flesh. I did learn that my life was not mine to control, and I needed to be far more serious with things of the Lord, but I still wasn't sure how to get where I needed to be. Uh, understood there was two booklets in this ministry that I was working in. One booklet was how to be saved. The other booklet on how to be sanctified. Do you see the separation of justification and sanctification in that? Okay, different definition. The second book told you how to become a spiritual Christian. The first one was, was got you into the carnal Christian. Do you see the categories? Okay, carnal Christian, spiritual Christian. 
And so, uh, again, this, this person goes on, a final few comments here. The um, let go and let God was extremely important. But I come, came to learn that this type of way does great damage to the truths of the biblical doctrines of regeneration and sanctification. It degrades the doctrine of regeneration by allowing unsanctified false believers to think they are saved when their lives declare they are not. It mutilates the doctrine of sanctification and thereby allows sanctified true believers to think they are not being sanctified, although their lives and the Word of God declare that they are. Any idea who that person is? Any, any thoughts or any, any, any ideas on who that might be? You, you all know him. John MacArthur. Yeah. So, um, again, how important, and he goes on to say that the definition, okay, rightly understanding sanctification is a huge stake in his spiritual pilgrimage. Okay, it's a huge, huge idea. So, again, rightly, rightly defining, rightly defining sanctification. So, we see the... Uh, I'd mentioned this, not to spend too much time here, but just recognize one, that incorrect definition is when you categorize, you begin to separate these these beliefs. Uh, Carnal, spiritual. First blessing, second blessing. Average normal, okay? Spirit indwelt, spirit baptized. Believer, disciple. Do you see the... And and you hear words are very important. And and again, understanding this and describing this correctly as as we're talking, as we're ministering to one another, as we're ministering to people. Fruitlessness, abundant fruit. Here's a biblical way to frame it. In the wilderness, the land of Canaan. Okay? So... um, you would, uh, you would also look in, in terms of this type of belief system, this type of fault, uh, three distinct types of people, non-Christian, carnal, those we evangelize. Christian in category one, carnal, surrender, and have faith. In other words, let go, completely give yourself to Jesus. It sounds good, doesn't it? Completely give yourself to Jesus the Master, every ambition, hope, loved one, possession, yourself. If you have to work for your victory, it's counterfeit. It's not the real thing. Sanctification involves a crisis, okay? Leave behind the straining and struggling. Scripture says we will struggle, right? We will struggle. And so uh, just rest quietly before God, okay? This was kind of the person number one that I was, was telling you about. Let God, let go and let God. The secret of complete victory is faith. Simply believing that Jesus has done and is doing it all. Victory is maintained by an attitude of faith. So close, so subtle, so deceptive. Okay? And um, your efforts play no part in the victory. Well, you can see the dangers in this. The final category, the third one, is in Christian, uh, in category number two, where you are spirit-filled, and you continue to let go and let God to develop, so you don't, you, you prevent a relapse back into the first category. So what does Paul, I mean, you know, do, you know, do you see the dangers in this? Do, do, you, do you see the dangers in kind of how, uh, how this can lead you down a wrong path? Well, what does Paul say about our present and progressive sanctification as we read on here? Well, first, again, recognizing, one, that we live and relate in this new spiritual reality. Okay, that's verses 1 through 4. And then recognizing 
that Christians are responsible to actively pursue holiness. That's the second recognition. Number one, recognize that we live and relate in a new spiritual reality. Two, recognize that Christians are responsible to actively pursue holiness. Let me read 5 through 14 here of chapter 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you almost so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds binds everything together in perfect harmony. Don't you always love Paul's triad of faith, hope, and love? Those just always emerge in in his writings. Well, so as we look at 5 through 14, we get our understanding of what is a What is a good view of progressive sanctification? Well, one, it's inevitable, though it's not automatic, okay? God will ultimately, okay, sanctify all completely. We talked about that, okay? That's this future view of sanctification. But talking about this progressive or present view of sanctification, it involves our responsible participation, doesn't it? Okay, although you participate, like we mentioned, within the framework of God's sovereignty and control, God began the process. He's the one who energizes you and guarantees that he will complete what he began. You work because God works. Isn't that great thought? I mean, you know, you, you work because God works. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for what? It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So all the working out is because God is at work within. Isn't that just an incredible thought to think through, okay? And so we are becoming who we are in Christ. So, uh, again, you know, progressive sanctification involves a lifelong struggle, okay? A lifelong struggle of putting off... You know, it's interesting, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about this in just a moment, but, okay, we, we are from a community where the head was Adam, right? Okay, we're from the world. And so we know that God did what? He placed us into this new reality, into Christ, into this new community, okay? And as such, these things don't fit. They don't work. Okay, they're not a part of who you are. Okay, and again, as the, the, the newborn baby, okay, you had nothing to do with your birth. Okay, right? You were just here. How did you get here? You were just here. You had nothing to do with that. God, in a sense, has done the same thing by placing you into this community, and now we're growing and becoming who we are in Him. It's a great thought. Um, so we've got this. Progressive sanctification, the passions of the the flesh wage war against our soul, asserts Peter, 
okay? And so they're opposed to one another, and so it does require active effort. Christians, again, as we mentioned, become who you are. All Christians are saints in the sense they are already holy, definitive sanctification, right? We're already holy, and God's holy people must become holy, okay? So we're already holy and must become holy. Let me, let me just dig into that just a bit. I want to just, this kind of illustration of, of other scripture references here. Illustrations of how Christians must become what or who they are. Okay, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. It's what you are. Become who you are. Who you, are. So cons- you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Okay? What you are. You were once slaves of sin, having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. Positional. Who you are, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Okay, what you are, as you really are unleavened in 1 Corinthians. And then what does he say to become who you are? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may become a new lump. So you, again, this idea permeates the New Testament. As many of you as, uh, as, many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ positionally. Cleanse out uh, or put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 13, 14a. So again, this idea of, okay, what God has done, okay, he's placed you here, and now become who you are. So as we go, um, kind of an illustration of putting off this this old man, putting off this old person. Um, I looked at some of uh, John MacArthur's notes, and and he he gave this example, which I thought was kind of an interesting example. He, He did a study of, uh, back in the early Roman period of penology, I hope I pronounced that correct, which is the study of punishment, crime punishment, criminal punishment, and crime management. And so he did the study. And so he, he, uh, if someone committed a murder, in some cases, they would take the, the body of the one murdered and literally you know, hook you up to that body. So, so you're dragging, can you imagine that? So you're dragging this dead body with you. I mean, it's rotting and decaying. Ultimately, it will, I mean, it kills you. You're just you're dragging this body around. But they, you know, they literally did that. I'm not saying Paul had that in mind, but certainly it's a good illustration, isn't it? Okay, so, you know, you know, put, you know take this, you know, put off the dead body. Put off this earthly dead body. So Paul may have had this in mind. But anyway, it's throw away the rotten garments of your former life, actively, daily, repenting and turning from sin in your life. Okay, become who you are. We've been ordained by God for good works, according to Ephesians 2.10. And so this new pattern of living begins to take hold in our life. So what doesn't match, okay? What shouldn't be there? Immorality, impurity, evil desire. Again, the context of sexual immorality. Impurity or, you know, in the thought life, okay? Capturing these thoughts and making sure that, you know, it's not who I am, okay? I capture these thoughts and think on right things. And again, as God continues to grow us into a deeper knowledge of Him, Paul's prayer in Colossians 1.9, okay, that we're growing into a deeper knowledge of God, Paul's prayer. So we see this, that our minds are being renewed day in and day out. So evil desire, greed, anger, okay? Does it mean that we are completely free from that? Some type of 
not to get into this, but this Wesleyan perfectionism, I mean, are we free from sin, uh, that we do not sin? No, of course not. I mean, again, God created this, ordained it to be this way, that we do have this tension, this drawback to the old community. Okay, so we struggle to put that off. But at the same time, as we continue to put it off, we continue to grow in Christ. We just continue to grow into this deeper knowledge of Christ, which is, an, which is tremendous. What a blessing. So, putting on these new garments, being renewed in knowledge. What are we to put on? These tender mercies, compassion. Okay, this, this, this Hebrew thinking of, of compassion is thinking like the, the, the bowels of compassion. They actually use physical organs to kind of bring these thoughts to life, as opposed to the kind of the Greek thought they actually used in the, in the Hebrew mind. It, it gave, kind of gave a concrete reality to these you know, philosophical concepts. So again, the bowels of compassion, a deep gut compassion for people. For uh, Again, this begins to come. And we see this in the life of Jesus, the compassion that he had for others. You know, we, when we were in Israel, we were able, on the Mount of Olives, you can stop and see where at the actual spot where Jesus overlooked the city and, and wept. And he wept. Okay, again, the compassion, that deep gut-level compassion that we have. Is this thing working? Let me move it up here. And I'm sorry, I didn't get, I didn't get here. Okay, I, I was, uh, I'd rather be closer to you than, than up on stage. So, uh, so anyway, um, is that better? Okay, good, good. So again, we, we see the compassion, the tender mercies that we are to put on. Kindness overlaps a bit with, uh, with compassion. You're good, you're good, you're, you're good should be as dear to me as my own good. Wow. I mean, you know, again, this is, we're putting these things on as we relate to one another. You know, I... Um, I had talked about, even in praying this morning, just thankful to be in a fellowship uh, with you all. Um, Because it's in, and we'll we'll get to this in just a moment, but it's in the context of community that these things play out, right? It's in the context of community where compassion, kindness, tender mercies, humility, humility, and it, this, is, this is where where these things play out. Us one with another. As dear to me as my own. Humility, humbleness of mind. You know there's no word for, in the classical Greek for humility. They just didn't believe in it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it was despised. I mean, you were, you were chasing pride. I mean, you're not going to chase humility. You're going you're to chase pride. So, again, as Jesus came and here... Uh, in humility, in lowness. Wow, what a, what a path He showed for us in that. Forgiveness. Unforgiveness is not an option, right? As a follower of Christ, as a child of God, it's just not an option. Unforgiveness is not an option. Don't need to say too much about that, right? And above all, above all, love. You know, you... <laughs> You can't have compassion and kindness and humility, tender mercies, unless you have agape, right? I mean, you, they just don't. In other words, it becomes legalistic if, if, if agape is not there. And so it's the, it's the robe that really wraps up all of these things. 
So we've got it. The first recognition, just okay, that we live and relate in a new spiritual reality. The second recognition, that Christians are responsible to actively pursue holiness. We've talked about these ideas of sanctification, the past, the present, and the future. In the present, we're to actively pursue holiness. And the third recognition is to recognize that the expression of our new spiritual reality takes place in the context of community. And we just talked about that. Um, Paul speaks with expressions of the old man and the new man in four places in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, and Ephesians 2.15, Ephesians 4.22-24, and Colossians 3.9-11. While you see this and we think of this individually as an individual charge, there's a corporate aspect in view here, right? I mean, it's important to recognize that the sinner separated from the community of Adam, which we talked about, and the... And, and the relationships that exist there and placed into the new man. And the new man in, in verses 10 to 11 of chapter 3 that we just read, I mean, it, it is definitely corporate in nature and refers to, and refers to this new community, this, the, the church, where all racial, ethnic, ethnic, social distinctions are dissolved. The old man is under its old head, Adam. The new man is under its head, Christ. This new community in which Christ dwells, Christ is all in all, and the focus on the image of God developed by the indwelling Christ. As we relate to one another in these ways, okay, putting on this new person, we, we begin to see the image of Christ, the very character of Christ developed in the community. So it's true for individuals, and collectively this renewal invo- involves progressive confirmation in the pattern of Christ, himself as the head of this new humanity, this new man, this church. So in, in, in short, the new community is designed to express the image of God in human relationships and structures. And the central reality is Christ in all. That's breathtaking to me. The, 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 the bride of Christ. I mean, we're a local manifestation of the, this universal new humanity that God is creating to bring glory to himself, and we manifest that as we relate to one another. How important it is to put off the old man and to put on the new man, God help us, to reflect the image of Christ for his glory. So recognize that the expression of our new spiritual reality takes place in the context of community. Well, fourthly, um, is recognizing that God's word is an essential in our progress. Again, these are just some of my own convictions and recognitions going through this. Recognition that God's word is an essential priority in our progress. We see, let the word of God, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Dwell. Be right at home. Abundantly. The Word of God. I mean, we hear this all the time, and I explained earlier why Kay and I are here. The, the, the drawing to be here at Faith Community was the just the elevation of the Word of God and how we all want to be underneath it. We feed on it, we meditate on it, we memorize it, we proclaim it. Um, as we look at the authority and sufficiency of God's Word in the lives of people, transforming people, 
how, how incredible this is. You know, there's a, I mentioned Colossians and Ephesians. As you look at Colossians um, 3.16, there, there's a, it's a parallel thought to Ephesians 5.18. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So think about this. So this, this, the same response as in Colossians and Ephesians follow this thought. Teaching, admonishing, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. It's all the same response. So you've got in Colossians, okay, you know, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then in Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit, essentially are saying the same thing. Okay, so to be filled with the Spirit is to be what? Dominated by the Word of God. We know the Spirit and the Word work in tandem in terms of our our sanctification and our growth. So let the Word of Christ set the direction for your progress in Christ. Again, so many things to be thinking about. But, I mean, this is is an examination question. I mean, even in your own heart, isn't it easy to allow the activities of daily life just to get in the way? Okay, so how important is the Word of God? I mean, even reflecting, it's just we feed on this, right? Okay, your biblical thinking, the lens that you work, the, the lens that you look through your daily activities should be the Word of God. The, you know, in terms of my lens and how I view where God has placed me in the workplace, where the role God has placed me as a, as a husband, as a son, as a, as a grandfather, as a father. Okay? All of that is viewed through the lens of the Word of God. And it's so important that we are finding ourselves dominated by the Word. So, recognize that we live and relate in a new spiritual reality, verses 1 through 4. Recognize that Christians are responsible to actively pursue holiness, putting off and putting on, becoming who you are, rightly thinking about sanctification. Recognize that the expression of our new spiritual reality takes place in the context of community, verses 10 and 11. Then recognizing that God's Word is an essential priority in our progress. And then finally, recognizing that all we do is to honor and glorify Christ. Five recognitions as I, have, as I think through this chapter. We grow with thankful hearts, don't we? Shane, um, I don't know if you were here last, last Sunday or not uh, and heard the doxology messages uh, out of Romans 16 from Shane Boy, did that, and that just kind of jumped in my heart to hear how you know he's emphasizing Paul's point there in doxology, an important point of preservation. Christ is able to establish and keep us. We've been firmly established. God will keep us until consummation to bring glory to His name. What a tremendous thing to think through. And again, as we struggle as we find ourselves in sin, as we find ourselves confessing and repenting of sin, as we find ourselves relating to one another and carrying out the context of this new person in relationships, isn't it a blessing to know that God is able to firmly establish us and bring all of us ultimately into glorification to where He completes it? He completes it. And then for all of eternity, that we enjoy this, continue to enjoy this resurrection life within a more full view of, of Christ. What a, what a great thing. 
So let's encourage one another. Right? I mean, in that, I was thinking, Rodney, okay, so this is good, and I'm so thankful for sanctification. Yeah, I know. I see my responsibilities. So let's encourage one another in our walk, right? I mean, we should do that day in and day out. We're part of a community here. God's placed you here in this community. And so I think we have responsibilities to encourage each other in our walk. So what? We reflect the character and the image of Christ. We bring glory to Him here and and, and to a world that actually sees our community. So we'll just close here with Romans 13, 14. Sum it up. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. Become who you are in Christ Jesus. Any, Any thoughts or comments or... I'm early, okay, so you guys get a break here, which is okay, but uh, yes. That's right. Good, good, good comment. Good comment there. Any other thoughts? Yes. Yeah. And so I like what you said about you know being you know embracing it, being part of it, and being thankful for it. Yes. Yeah. I think that's good. And that's a good comment. In other words, our hope too is set set to a future day too, right? Okay. That helps us through the struggles. Our hope is set to a future day as well. I mean, I, again, I I can't tell you just running on the on the Mount of Olives if you, as you was there, it's like, oh, you're going to return here. Wow. You know what a what a thought. You know. So. Okay. Well, let me let me close us in prayer this morning, and you know, thank you guys for putting up with me this morning too. Uh, Father, uh, again, we are so grateful for the Word of God. Um, so grateful that you uh, revealed yourself to us in the person who is the Word, our Lord Jesus. So thankful for all of these graces that you've bestowed upon us, Lord. You, um, Lord, you converted us, you regenerated us, you placed us on a path. Um, You've, you've given us your very self. And so, Lord, um, just, we just, it's just indescribable, the gift, as, as Paul says. And, uh, and so, Lord, help us um, to be responsible, Lord, as we pursue holiness. Lord, that, uh, help us to understand that it's our activity, along with your power working in us, uh, to be ultimately conformed more and more into your image, individually and collectively. Father, we trust you and we thank you and we just thank you for your spirit that empowers us. Lord, as we go in this morning, be with Shane as he, uh, as he d- uh, brings the word to us this morning, give him clarity of mind. And, and uh, we're so thankful for, uh, again, being here in faith community where uh, we have such um, 
Such great teaching of the Word, Lord. We just pray, Lord, that you would just impact our hearts even more this morning as we go. In Christ's name, amen.